So we're back in Ezekiel. We're in Ezekiel 18. So if you turn me there. Ezekiel has been prophesying a judgment that's come upon Israel, Judah specifically, uh, deservingly. And he's going to be talking about a proverb that they were saying, declaring in that day. But we already had seen a proverb that they had declared in verse 12. So if you go to, excuse me, chapter 12. If you go to chapter 12 for a minute, let's take a look at that. Chapter 12 of Ezekiel, look at verse 21. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, what is this proverb that you people have about the land of Israel, which says the days are prolonged and every vision fails? What did that mean? You remember? You have any notes? We've been through chapter 12. We've been through this section. I'm sorry? Very good, Christy Jones. Very good. That's what it means. They're saying, ah, it's not going to happen in our day. We have something similar that goes on that Peter talked about. Remember, what did Peter say? In the last days, scoffers will come. Let me, let me see if I, I got it here, I think. Let's see. Verse Three of chapter three of Second Peter, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. For the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." Yeah, we pray for John Michael's brothers that they would come to repentance and salvation and understanding. But here, here in chapter 12 of Ezekiel, what the prophets have been prophesying, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, even years before Isaiah, this judgment that was coming upon the nation. But the nation was, ah, oh, come on, come on, come on. Everybody's been saying that for so long. And what does it say here in chapter 12 and verse 22? The people say the days are prolonged. Every vision fails. Verse 23, tell them therefore, thus says the Lord God. This is Ezekiel 12, verse 23. Tell them, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will lay this proverb to rest, and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel, but say to them, the days are at hand and the fulfillment of every vision. For no more shall there be any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. What was happening there? Was he talking about and referring to? the false prophets prophesying prosperity, health and wealth. Isn't that exactly what we have today? Don't you understand how close we are, our society, our world, the nation, to the judgment that God said is coming that is absolutely inevitable? And this is what he was saying here. The people were saying, oh, who, the vision will fail. It'll never come. They've been saying that these doomsayers, these these prophets of doom and gloom been saying the judgment's been coming for how long and it hasn't come 
And God says here, it's inevitable, and now I'm going to bring it upon you. Now, as we move on in the text, we see that's precisely what happened. The Babylonians came in, carried them captivity. In what year? The first captivity? 605 B.C. That's when Daniel was carried away into captivity. Then the, the second deportation of the Jewish people by the Babylonians occurred in 597. Who was carried away then? Ezekiel, the prophet. And then finally, finally, the ju final judgment came of the nation when? 586 B.C. And that began what? The times of the Gentiles. Time, where do we get that phrase from? Times of the Gentiles. Anybody know? Hmm. I think it's Luke 21. Luke 21. Help me, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> 24, 21, 24. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive to all nations. Talk about the Jews now and the absolute destruction of Jerusalem. When did that occur? 70 AD. 70 AD. That's the final destruction of Jerusalem. Happened, uh, when did, was the temple destroyed? On what day? <coughs> Tisha B'Av, not day of Av, the ninth day of Av, the very same day, uh, Av years apart, obviously, that the first temple was destroyed on Tisha B'Av, the ninth day of Av. But here he's saying they'll be led away captive into all nations, the diaspora, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until when? And when is that? The rapture of the church, soon and very soon, right? The times of the Gentiles will be over. But back to Ezekiel, what we're talking about here now, they were saying, oh, the judgment will never come. You've been saying the judgment, saying the judgment. But, and, but now he was saying, no, don't listen to these false prophets. Don't listen to these peace and prosperity hucksters. And boy, is there so many today, isn't there? Wow, who aren't teaching the truth. They won't talk about sin. They won't talk about judgment. And how they wiggle away when you ask them about same-sex relationships and whether it's a sin or not. Hmm? It's amazing how many are caving to the wokeness of the day. But now as we move into chapter 18, there's another proverb they were saying. After the judgment had come, because Ezekiel had been carried away in captivity, and, and like the rest of them, they were forced into labor, working in the fields to produce a harvest and fruit for the Babylonians, but they had very little. Their proverb was saying here, what God has done is unfair. He's unjust. This is not right. They don't want to take responsibility for what they've done. And that they're in captivity as a result of their sin. That's why this judgment came. Oh, boy, do we not have a whole generation of young people that don't want to take responsibility? Who are they blaming for all their woes? Yeah, their parents. Their parents. And who's the, who's the biggest villain in our society today? White Christian males. Yeah, toxic masculinity. <laughs> but no, the real problem today is no one wants to take personal responsibility for their actions. They want to blame everybody else. Is that something new? No. When God addressed Adam, what did he say? It was the woman. You came. It wasn't me. It was a woman. And what did the woman say? It was the serpent. <laughs> yeah, we all try to justify 
our sins by blaming someone else for our actions, someone else for our troubles, someone else for the fact that we're suffering the consequences of our bad choices. Well, so too, that's what Israel was doing. Now, here in chapter 18, they're trying to blame God. They went into captivity just as he said they would, although they were in denial. What's the biggest river in the world? Denial. <laughs> denial. The largest river in the world. How many people are in denial? about the fact that most of us cause our own troubles, our own woes. It isn't that the Lord brought it upon us. We brought it upon ourselves by our bad choices. Hmm? And here, this is what they're doing. In chapter 18, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me again, saying, what do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. Jeremiah said the exact same thing in Jeremiah 31, 29, and 30. What are they saying here? We're in captivity. We're here in Babylon, not because of our sin, but because of our father's sin. Our fathers have sinned, and now we got to pay the price? <laughs> you heard the glorious news, right? Gail's been praying for her daughter for 24 years, and she, she surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ on January 1st, 2023. But the more exciting aspect of it all is that we see the change in her life, the way she's speaking and talking. But I remember when we first started witnessing to her several years ago, she was at my house and she said, well, why, why, should, why should we have to suffer for what somebody else did years ago, speaking of Adam and Eve in the fall? Well, we're not suffering for what they did. We're their prodigy. We're suffering because like them, we're sinners. Two sinners can only produce what? Another sinner. And, and sin perpetuates itself. It's the sin within, right? But here, the nation was saying, God, you're not fair, you're unjust, there's no reason for we to be judged. You're judging us for the sin of our fathers. No, 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 no. We went through the proverbs of the vineyard and the eagles and the adulterous wife, and that's exactly who they were. But they refused to admit it. And you, know, you really can't lead someone to the Savior until they first realize what a wretched sinner they are. You have to get them lost before you can get them saved. Anybody ever see the, the uh, YouTube video of Babylon B witnessing to Elon Musk? Anybody ever see that? Anybody? No? Yeah? Was that not pathetic? Was that the most pathetic presentation of the gospel you've ever heard in your life? It's ridiculous. I'm sorry? They were. They were impressed by his wealth. No, 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 you should never be impressed. The best of men? Men are best, that's all we are. You would be impressed with the Lord, right? But here, here they're blaming God for being unfair. Behold, uh, verse 3, he says, As I live, says the Lord, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall surely die. In the day you eat thereof, you shall. Yeah, well, you know, God, it was never God's design for death to come into the world. God designed us, created this world and our bodies that we would rejuvenate, that we would live forever in harmony with him. Well, that's what heaven is going to be, living forever in the existence and the presence of God, where it's just that realm of love and joy and peace. Yeah, but no, 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 no. We've sinned, haven't we? And that's what he's saying here. No, you, uh, your soul has sinned. It was your desire. And where does sin begin? You're stinking, thinking. 
That's where it begins. Every sin, listen to me, I don't care. Every sin has a history. Uh, Some of you heard me teach on David and Bathsheba, Ahithophel, that whole story, the intrigue there. I, I don't understand why someone hasn't produced a movie about that. When was that sin conceived? When he walked out on the rooftop and he saw this naked woman next door? Is that when that sin was? No, no, long. Listen, long before that ever occurred. Why? When you understand the story, David would have been exposed to Bathsheba. Bathsheba was exposed to David numerous times. Her grandfather was a high official, the counselor of all counselors for David in his kingdom. And so that flirtation, that sin, that... uh, was conceived long before the action took place. And every sin that you and I commit, there's a history to it. It is first conceived in the mind. The thought becomes a desire, and the desire becomes an action. And that's what he's saying here. No, 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 no. All souls who sin shall die. So who does that include? Everybody, everybody, the soul who sins shall die. If a man is just and does what is lawful and right, if he has not eaten on the mountains, what does that mean? Now we're going to, we're talking about three, we're talking about three generations. We're going to talk about a father. We're going to talk about a son of the father. And we're going to talk about the son of the son, a grandson. We're going to about three generations of people. But what does it mean that they were eaten on the mountains? They were going up on the mountains to worship idols, where they would have these sacrificial meals, where they would engage in this pharmacia and get into these altered states and this immoral sexual activity. What's new? What's new? (laughs) But he's talking about a man who is just, who is following the ways and the will of the Lord. Right? If he does what is lawful and right, verse 6, if he has not eaten on the mountains, nor lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, nor defiled his neighbor's wife. And that's what would happen, you know. Uh, you know back in the 60s, it was very popular to do this thing called wife swapping. Anybody ever hear that? Yeah, yeah where, where couples would just swap partners for the night. Sick, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's what would happen when we would go up on the mountain, up in the groves. They would sleep with another man's wife. Hmm? Indulgences, you know what they were, right? The Catholic Church allowed indulgences. Bless me, Father, for I'm about to sin. I'm going to sleep with my neighbor's wife tonight. But I want to be forgiven before I commit the act. What do I need to do? You know, that's actually what would go on. How sick is that? Yes, didn't offer anything up on the mountains, on the groves, did not uh, have relationships with his neighbor's wife, nor approach a woman in her impurity if he, was, if he has not oppressed anyone, but has restored to the debtor his pledge, has robbed no one by violence, but has given his bread to the hungry and covered the naked with clothing. If he has not exacted usury, got interest out of what he loaned to people, nor taken any increase, but has withdrawn his hand from iniquity and executed true judgment between man and man. If he has walked in my statutes and kept my judgments faithfully, he is just. He shall surely live, says the Lord God. Whose righteousness is he walking in? 
I'm sorry? His own? You think this is his own righteousness? He's, he's following the judgments, the statutes, the testimonies, the law of the Lord. Whose righteousness is he walking in? God's righteousness. How, how is that? How, how do they come about in the Old Testament walking in the righteousness of God? By obeying the sacrificial system that God has laid out through Moses in Leviticus that a temporary kafar covering would occur for their sin, and as they were expressing faith in the promises to come, saw in, manifested in, these signs, these symbols, these types, which the sacrifices were, it was accounted to them as righteousness. For without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? But we walk by faith and not by, right? And Abraham believed God, so it was reckoned him for Ah, so now so listen, this is where this righteous man's righteousness comes from. He believed God. He did what God had prescribed, what God had told him. The appropriate way to approach God and worship God was through the sacrificial system found in Leviticus. He would have to acknowledge that he's a sinner. He would have to take responsibility for his actions, and he would offer a sin offering. But then he would pray to God that God would help him and strengthen him to become a righteous man. And there were several righteous men, in the old, righteous men and women in the Old Testament who lived by faith and God gave them an extra measure of grace so they could resist the temptations of sin. Can you name me some? Joseph. Oh, what an example Joseph was. Enoch. Enoch, no, we know that Enoch walked with God and pleased God so much that one day, you know, they walked so far and so long as they were talking together. Isn't that wonderful when you walk with God? Yeah. Well, God said, Enoch, I think we're closer to my house than yours. Why don't you come home with me now? <laughs> Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't you like to reach that vanishing point? Will you so walk with God? You know, I was telling somebody today, and they kind of shocked at my statement. I said, you, you can't believe what a distraction ministry is from my relationship with the Lord. Now, why would I say that? People. Paul said, I wish that all men were as I am. Why? Because he was so distraction-free. He didn't have the distractions of, of a wife or children and all of those responsibilities that he would have to carry. But God said, that's not his will for me, generally for men, is it? No, 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 no. It is not good that man should be, right? So God says the general will of God's for all men is that they would marry. But, but marriage, family, uh, family responsibilities, a job, all of those things, all of the weight of those responsibilities that you have to exercise really hinder your walk with the Lord, don't they? And ministry, I'm, I'm praise God. You know, one day he's going to take me home and there won't be any ministry. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I'll just be able to do what I'm created to do. What am I created for? To know God and enjoy him forever. Do you enjoy the Lord? I, I don't know. Who was I talking to tonight? Somebody I was talking to today out in the yard. I, I'm just so thankful. I just, I just so enjoy my life. God has blessed me with the opportunity to share his word to a small congregation of people where I am not so distracted by all of the business of ministry and the busyness of ministry and the drama of ministry that it steals me away from my time with the Lord. I have oodles and goodles of time with the Lord. I so enjoy that. We can get so distracted by much lesser things, things of this world. What did he say? The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of 
will choke out your spiritual life. Chasing the carrot. The materialism of today. Just, I mean, obsessed people. No one is ever satisfied. Never is enough enough. And you get on that hamster wheel and you spin and spin and spin and spin and spin. It's so freeing to be freed of all of that. Free. Enjoy the Lord. And that's my encouragement to you. You know, whatever distractions you can remove from your life without hurting those that you love, you know, because we have to carry out our responsibilities. You know, my wife would love it if I just sat on the couch and had a cup of tea with her from the time we got up to the time we went to bed and talked. Read the Bible. Shared our hearts. She'd love that, wouldn't she? Yeah. But nothing would ever get done. I told her, just wait, 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 wait. When we go to heaven, we'll do that. But here we can't. We have responsibility. <laughs> but my encouragement to you is whatever, whatever distractions you can remove, especially now, even the more so as we see the day approaching. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. Now, he's not just talking about we gather together as the church. We gather together. Why? Because, because we enjoy the strength of the Christ in one another, don't we? There is strength when we gather together as a body. But it's through his strength, through his presence in our life. Mm, so important. Now we talk about the son. Verses 10 through 13, he's a wicked, violent son, disobedient son. The, the father was believing the promises of God. The father was obeying the way in which God had prescribed he would approach God. And therefore, it was accounted to him as righteousness, but not the son. If he begets a son who is a robber or a shedder of blood, who does any of these things, who does none of the duties that he has eaten on the mountains or defiled his neighbor's wife, he has op oppressed the poor and the needy, robbed by violence, not restored the pledge, lifted up his eyes to idols, or committed abomination, if he has exacted usury or taken increase, shall he then live? He shall not live. If he has done any of these abominations, he shall surely die. His blood shall be upon his own head. God is saying, listen, you will suffer the consequences of your choices and your decisions. Inside everybody you know, is somebody you don't know. Now, you, you want to be honest with yourself. The worst deception is self-deception when you're deceiving yourself about who you really are. Nothing could be more foolish. Nothing could be more idiotic, moronic, than to live like a fool in deceiving yourself about who you really are. And who you really are is your heart's desire. Who you really are is when, when you have nothing else to think about. What is it, where, where, where does your mind go? Where does your heart go? Where do your thoughts go? What are your desires? When it's night and no one's around and the lights are out and no one would ever know, where do you go? How many go to this plague of pornography today? And it's not just a man's problem anymore. Isn't that amazing? And the problem's not here, is it? Where's the problem? Right here, right here. How many hypocrites... 
What's the, what's the chief complaint of the unbeliever about coming to church? I'm not going to go to church. I've been to church before. That church is full of? They're right. And that's what I tell them. I said, you're right. You're right. I, I, you're right. And, and listen, every one of us need to be honest about the amount of hypocrisy that's in our lives. And asking God to erase it, to remove it, to make me genuine, sincere, honest before God and before others. I hold myself accountable to my best friend in all the world. Right, Gail? <laughs> I give her freedom to speak into my life at any time. I said, I won't get mad. I won't get upset. You need to tell me what you see. Any hypocrisy in my life where I'm not really representing Christ. And, and listen, it, it happens. And I'm so thankful that she's that governance. In my, well, she'll, you know, when you're blind to something, you're blind to it. You don't see it. That's why they call it a blind spot. But isn't it wonderful when you have such a relationship where they can say, you know, I, I, I see this, and you really ought to maybe think about praying about asking God to help you with this. Okay. All right. Well, let's come and help me when I'm driving. <laughs> but the father is justified by his faith. The son is condemned by his own actions. If, however, he begots a son, now it's the grandson of the son who sees all the sins which his father has done and considers but does not do likewise, who has not eaten on the mountains nor lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, nor defiled his neighbor's wife, has not oppressed anyone, nor withheld a pledge, nor robbed by violence, but has given his bread to the hungry and covered the naked with clothing, who has withdrawn his hand from the who has withdrawn his hand from the poor and not received usury or increase, but has executed my judgments and walked in my statutes. He shall not die for the iniquity of his father. He shall surely live. Hmm. Some of the most wicked kings in Israel produce some of the most righteous children. But the opposite happens as well. Now, now you're, listen, you're not responsible for the way your children come out and the actions they take, especially when they're adults. You're responsible to set the right example, and you're responsible to make sure that the standard in your home is a standard that honors God. And if they choose not to live to that standard, throw them out. Who has the courage to do that today? Parents, especially you young parents, you need to hold your young people to acting responsible, acting in accord with what you've established in your own life. We, we set the example, right? We don't say, do what I tell you, not as I do, right? That's hypocrisy. No, do as I do. I'll set the example for you by the way I live my life and my precept, by my teaching, but I, I expect you to follow me. I expect you to act according to what it means to live in my house as we desire for me and my house to serve the Lord, to honor God. So many weak-willed parents. Strong-willed children, yeah. But the problem with strong-willed children is weak-willed parents. My will to train my son had to be far greater than his will to rebel. Many of you know the wonderful relationship I have with my son. But until he was about 12 years old, I know I spanked him every single day. Every day. He was such a rascal. 
I mean, they, they classified him as being ADD. They wanted to give him some Medicaid. No, 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 no. I'll wear him out. You know. No, this is, this is a discipline problem. You want to know if somebody truly has ADD? Then you, you put them in front of a video that they love, something that they really enjoy, and they won't be able to sit through it. If they can sit there and enjoy something, they don't have ADD. It doesn't exist. It's discipline. It's a discipline problem. You understand? A true ADD diagnosis means I can't sit through anything. Okay? And so I purposed that I was going to wear him out. I wore him out physically because he was training his body. At night, we'd run, we'd do a strength routine, an endurance routine, and by the end of that, he'd have his dinner and his books, and he'd go sound asleep. <clears throat> Too tired to be in trouble. <laughs> and Daddy was tired, too, from all of that. But, it, but it, listen to me, it pays off. Your will to train your children has to be far stronger than their will to rebel. What's the biggest problem today? Rather than train our children, what do we throw at them? I don't, iPhone, iPad, iPhone. How many of them are they're addicted to it? And they're not, they're social misfits. They do not have a social relationship. I have a thousand friends on Instagram and Facebook, but I don't have any friends, real friends. I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook. You want to have a relationship with me? Pick up your phone and call me. Come and see me. Join me while I'm working. Hey, you want to mix concrete tomorrow? 22 bags. Come on. Come tomorrow. You can work with me. We'll bond. Hmm. And I know a lot about concrete. We used to make a cement shoes. One size fits everybody. <laughs> no, but you know what I'm saying. But we, we have a whole generation. Nobody takes responsibility. They're entitlement brats. My son did not have a right to drive. It was a privilege. It was a privilege that the state didn't give him. His father gave him. Not because he came of, became of a certain age, because he conducted himself responsibly. Then he could carry out that responsibility to drive my car. You look at the cars these kids drive in high school. Go to Hillcrest High School and go in the parking lot. Unbelievable. Spoiled brats. And we, wonder why and we wonder why when they grow up they can't handle any responsibility. Why are all these adult men in their, in their parents' basements playing video games all day? Why are there more women succeeding in college and business than men? Why are more women homeowners now, single women, than there are men? Because we've, we've bought into this idea of toxic masculinity, and we've destroyed the manhood. You're going to have another girl, aren't you? Yeah, praise the Lord. You're a blessed man. Right? A son is a son until he takes a wife, a daughter is a daughter, all of her life, all of her life. But if you had a son, would she be able to make a man out of him? No. Why is that? It takes a man to make a man. She can birth a male child. She can't make a man out of him. It takes another man to make a man, to reproduce manhood, true manhood from a biblical perspective, right? But look at the fatherlessness that we have today. Look at the number of people today who choose not to take responsibility for their actions. 
Verse 18. Is that where I am? Yeah, verse 18. As for his father, because he cruelly oppressed, robbed his brother by violence, and did what is not good among his people, behold, he shall die for his iniquity. God is saying everyone is judged based upon the decisions they made, and the most important decision to make is whether you're surrendering to the Lord Jesus Christ or not. Now, gentlemen, every Saturday, most, a uh, number of Saturday mornings, not every Saturday morning, a number of Saturday mornings, I told you, if you teach your children two things, two things, they will be successful in life. What are those two things you need to give your children? What gift? Respect for authority and self-control. Now, it's a given you're going to share the Lord with them. You want them to become Christians. You want them to fall in love with Jesus. But you also have to help them develop the discipline of self-control and submission to authority. What's the biggest problem we have today? What's going on in Atlanta this week? There's, there is no respect. Did you hear about the meteorologist from Fox News who got beat up on the train station the other day on the subway? Trying to help an elderly man where this, this, this group of teenagers, these thugs, set the man's hair on fire. Well, he was trying to prevent that from happening, and they turned on him, and they beat the snot out of him. Mercy. And everybody on the subway did nothing. nothing. When did they console the man? After all the hoodlums left. Where, Lord of the Flies, yeah. <laughs> Probably most of them don't know that. <laughs> Verse 19, yet you say, why should the son bear the guilt of the father? Because the son has done what is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes, observed them, and he shall surely live. The son will not bear the sins of the father. Now, they were confused because, go to Exodus 34 for a minute. No, Moses sees the face of God, and then he wants to know his name, and God declares his name to Moses. Exodus 34. Is that what I said? Exodus 34, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first two. <laughs> you know, life gets so easy when you obey the Lord. And it gets so difficult and so complicated once you decide not to, right? Who cut those first tablets of stone? God did. God cut them out of the rock, and God inscribed his law upon them, right? All Moses had to do was carry them down the mountain. And what did Moses do? He misrepresented God. What did he do? He broke the tablets, right? And so God said, I made him the first time. You're going to have to make him the second time. So he had to go through all that work of cutting out those tablets out of the rock, and then he had to chisel God's law in them. You think he taught him a little bit of a lesson? You know, there is an easy way to go through life, and there is a very hard way, a difficult way. It becomes, life becomes so easy when we just obey the Lord, when we do things according to the book, right? He makes all things beautiful. You know the song, right? He makes all things beautiful. And it, be, and it becomes so sweetly simple to live life according to the truth. It takes all the complexity out, all the drama, you see. 
No, but Mo- <laughs> Moses had to cut them out himself this time. He had to learn a very difficult lesson. And so he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write these tablets in the words that were on the first two tablets, which you broke. (laughs) So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to the mountain Sinai and present yourself to me there at the top of the mountain. No man shall come up with you and let no man be seen throughout all of the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So no one was to come upon the mountain, no man nor beast, except Moses. So he cut the two tablets of stone like the first ones. And Moses rose early in the morning and went up to the mountain of Sinai. As the Lord had commanded him, he took the, in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. That's what Moses wanted to know, his name, his person, and experience his presence. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Isn't that lovely? Now, that's the attribute of God that we like to lean upon, isn't it? Whenever I come to God and I'm in a a period of repentance because I kicked the dog or screamed at Gale, you know, I, I come to him and I come to him and appeal to his mercy to his grace, to his long-suffering. I said, Lord, forgive me, because you are a forgiving God. You know, and that's what he's describing here. But then what does he say? Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by no means clearing the guilty. Visiting the iniquity, the sin of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Ooh, what does that mean? So the father's sin is passed on to the children. Is that what it means? Or is it the father's sin, the punishment of the father's sin is passed on to the children? What does it mean? Do you not have an opinion? You don't have an opinion? That's exactly what it is. Bad, Bad company corrupts Good character, always. And some of that bad company can be your own family, right? And, and, and look, sin perpetuates. You know, I'm the first generation of Ariali born again, first. Now, had I not become born again, I would be an alcoholic. I used to drink to excess. I, I was not a social drinker. When I started drinking, I wouldn't stop until I was inebriated. Uh, there are many alcoholics in my family. I, I've seen it displayed for me in my uncles, in my father, in my grandfather, uh, and, and, and I was going to go down that same path. The sin perpetuates itself. Now, you've seen that in families, haven't you? Where, where there's generational sins, that the sins of the father gets carried on to the son, the sins of the son gets carried on to the grandson, etc., etc., etc. So that's what he means by that. Not that God has punished them because of the sins of the father, but the sins of the father are imitated by the children. What kind of an example, what kind of a model are we going to set for our children? We want to set a positive example. There are many examples that my father set for me that I chose not to follow, that I would never follow. Now, when we're adults, you know, we, we can't help the house we're brought up in, can we? we? You don't choose your parents, do you? No, no. And I grew up in a dysfunctional home. Don't need to 
share much of that with you, don't want to. I don't even like to go back there. But I grew up in a very dysfunctional home, but that did not identify who I am. That did not create a mold that I had to fill. I'm my own person. When I became an adult, a young adult, I could choose for myself the direction I wanted to take. I was no longer going to hold my parents responsible. And, you know, I, I just have to give them credit because they grew up in dysfunctional homes. They did the best they knew how. That's all they knew. Uh, one thing I can say about my dad, he was a European father. He, he was a provider, protector. He was a hardworking man. He provided well for our home. He was a protector, but there was no nurturing. There was no spiritual guidance whatsoever. Uh, all of that was lacking. And, and unfortunately, that's mo the case most of the time now in America. It used to be where most households, most men were provider protectors. Well, they're not even provider protectors anymore, are they? No, they're not even existent. And I appreciate the fact that my father gave me a work ethic. You know, you, my father had no lazy children because it wasn't allowed. You couldn't be lazy. You were under my roof. You eat at my table. My wife washes your clothes. Then you have to contribute. That's the way it was. What's happened to that? What's happened to that? Mm. But nonetheless, that's, that's what he means here. What happens is the sinful behavior are imitated. Not that God is judging the children for the sins of the father, nor is he judging the grandchildren for the sins of, of their fathers. And he's, and he's showing that example here in chapter 18 as he talks about the son, that he's talking about the man, the righteous man, the man's son, the man's grandson. Back to chapter 18. But they misunderstood that thinking that God is unjust, God is not fair. Verse 20, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The, righteous of the, righteous, the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon themselves. You heard it said that God doesn't have any grandchildren, right? Doesn't have any grandchildren. What? Yeah. Where, where are we, one? 1820? Okay, thank you. 1820. God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has sons and daughters. That's all he has. And if you're not a son, you're not a daughter, then you're not his. You're not a Christian because your parents are Christian. You're not a Christian because your wife is a Christian. You, you can't ride the coattails of anybody else, no matter how righteous they are. You have to stand or fall on your own behavior, your own desires, your own morality. But if a wicked man turns, uh, here, uh, verse 20, yeah. uh, the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if the wicked man turns and repents, you know, in uh, Europe, and, and the, uh, whether it's Russian Orthodox or Greek Orthodox, uh, when they talk about that transforming power of the Holy Spirit and coming to a full knowledge of Christ, they don't ask you when you became born again. You know what they ask you? When did you make repentance? When did, when did you really tell God how sorry you are for who you are, for what you are? That, that's really what it means. And that's what he's talking about here. When, when did you truly come to that place? And I hope all of you did. I hope everyone in my hearing have come to the place where you've recognized how much you personally offend God. 
Because you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And it's not just the actions. The actions just declare what I am. And have you ever repented? Truly repented? God, the only thing I can offer you is my wretchedness, my sinfulness. But Lord, help me. Change me. Lord, I need a new heart. A new spirit. And that's really what it means to be born again. You come to that place where you make full repentance. And that's what he's talking about here. If he turns from all his sins, which he has committed, keeps all my statutes and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him. Because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. Sins are no longer remembered. They're as far removed as the north is from the south. Is that right? No? No? Oh, he's from the west. That's right. Why is it not the north from the south? That's right. You go far enough north, what happens? You end up going south. You go far enough south, you end up going north. But if you go far enough east, you just keep going east. You go west, you just keep going west, right? You keep going west. Extreme. Your sins are now as far removed from you as the east is from the west. Never, God says, never to be. Well, why do you remember them? You know, that, that's not the most difficult thing. When you really draw close to the Lord and you see his beauty, his grace, his love for you, and the guilt <clears throat> of our sin that we have repented over how many times comes back, but we, we have to bathe ourselves in that understanding of his forgiveness for us. He said, I stink, uh, distinctly remember forgetting that. Why are you remembering it? Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. And that's what he's talking about here. When a person really, truly repents, he remembers it no more. Justified by faith. None of the transgressions, verse 22, which he has committed shall be remembered against him because of the righteousness which he has done. He shall live. Do I have any pleasure at all in that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? That's God's desire, that everyone would turn. But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he was never saved to begin with. And does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness with which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed. Because of them he shall die because of the sins. Now, you know, I remember listening to Billy Graham, and he said, he said, no matter how long Billy Graham lives, Billy Graham will never be able to find acceptance before God because of all the crusades that he has done all over the world. No matter how many people have been saved, no matter how many people have come forward, Billy Graham's a sinner, and he's been saved by the grace of God. And that's what we have to keep remembering. And when you do, you won't fall back into those sin behaviors ever. Now, when you're first saved and troubles hit or you're stressed or there's a difficulty that occurs, you go back to those comforts that you found previously. But there's no comfort in those, are there? But you think erroneously, I'm going to go back, like the man who, who cast the seed on the stony ground. When tribulation hit, when persecution comes, they fall away. Why? Because they go back to those behaviors. What are some of those behaviors they would run back to to try to find some comfort in? 
Who? Addictions, addiction, chemical addiction. It could be alcohol, you know? It could, it could be drugs. It could be a bad relationship. It could be a number of things right, that you would go back to rather than seeking out the Lord. How did, how did the saints get by for a millennium before we had all of the pharmacia today, all these pharmaceuticals? How did they survive? How, how is it that marriages were so strong? Do you know, for the first 350 years of the Roman Republic, not the Roman Empire, before it became the empire, it was called the Roman Republic. For the first 350 years of the Roman Republic, there was not a recorded divorce. Is, some, is love something you fall into? Whoop! Oh, I didn't know that was coming. Wow. You know. Is that, is that what happens? No. What is love? Love is a choice. Love is a choice. Why, why is it that for a millennium, arranged marriages were far more successful than these romances that occur? Why? Parents know best. Okay, okay, but... Parents know best, but love is not an emotion. Love is? And it's a devotion, right? Love is devotion. It's not emotion. It's devotion. It's a choice. So when, during that period of time when there were arranged marriages, you, you listened to the papa. And the papa knew best. The mama knew best. And this is the arrangement they made. And we're, we're going to choose to love one another. We're going to choose to make this work. I firmly believe, with all my heart, that two people, one biological woman, one biological man, who are really in the Lord and choose to love one another, they're going to have a successful relationship. It's going to be beautiful. But most people go into the relationship for what they can receive from it rather than what they can give. And, and that, that's pronouncing its death right away. Right away. Hmm. It shouldn't be. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel, is it not my way which is fair and your way which is not fair? Yes. When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and he dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. It's his own fault, right? You know, who did Israel have to blame for all the trouble that happened to them? They had no one to blame but who do we have to blame? Listen to me. I know you can complain about the government. You complain about the Democrats, you know, or demon rats or whatever they are. I don't know where they are, you know. But, but listen, the other side is no better. The other side is no better. They're not spiritual. They're not righteous. Who do we have to blame for the governance that we have? Ourselves. Ourselves. We're motivated by our pleasures and our greed. That's what motivates us. And we have no one to blame. Just as Isaiah had declared to Israel of old, the northern kingdom, before they were destroyed, they had no one to blame but themselves. And God gave them over to such ungodly leadership, both in the political realm, in the spiritual realm, in the business realm, because that's who they were. Do you understand? That's who we are. We are a representative form of government. So who are they representing? Yes, us. Isn't it, I mean, doesn't it absolutely confound you 
that during the midterms, it wasn't this tsunami? Where are all the thinking people? Are we a nation of idiots? Morons? Yes, yes, yes. You know. God has given us over. And that's what he's done. Again, verse 27, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive. And, and you see, we know there's only one way. Is that true? Now, our nation doesn't believe that any longer, but, but make no excuse for that and don't make any apologies for that, but declare the truth, that God is the way, the truth, and the life, and that God is Jesus Christ. And through Christ, you could find acceptance before God the Father. I don't care what you've done. What did Saul do? Rabbi Saul, the Apostle Paul, what did he do? Before his conversion, he said, I am the chief of sinners. You know why he said that? Because we know from extra biblical material, he was responsible for as many as 10,000 Christians being murdered, persecuted, or put in prison. 10,000. Single-handedly, he was destroying the way. This Nazarene heresy that he thought existed. When Paul was apprehended by the Holy Spirit on the road to Damascus, and when we get into the book of Acts, I assure you, we'll get in there, but when we get into the book of Acts, what did it say after he was apprehended? There was great peace in the church. That one man, that one man was raising havoc against the church. It said he was rooting them out. That word that is used like a wild boar rooting out roots to eat. <laughs> Just destroy. That's Paul, one man, chief of sinners, and when he came to the Lord, he said, Lord, please forgive me. And God said, no. Is that what he said? No. The chief persecutor became the chief persecuted. Wow. Became the champion of grace. Wow. Amazing. That's what he's saying here. I, listen, I don't care what you've done. We don't know. We don't know each other. You know, hopefully the person that sleeps with you knows you. But they don't really know you, do they? No. She doesn't know your innermost thoughts. He doesn't know your innermost thoughts. No, 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 you don't. He does. He knows all. And we want to we wanna be at a place, and especially now, beloved, I can't, I can't encourage you more. I can't implore you more. I can't beg you more to get as close to Jesus as you possibly can, because the end's coming. And you don't want to say, why am I still here? Do you understand that? You don't, you don't want to have to cry that out. Because it will be too late. You'll have to endure whatever it is you have to endure. Oh, your, your faith will be proven genuine. But it's just not going to be pleasant. How many of the apostles were murdered? Martyred? How many of the apostles had to have their faith proven genuine through martyrdom? They were murdered? Everyone but John. And you, listen, I want you to ask yourself the question, why not John? Hmm. You want to be a John. So you want, to, you want to really discover why John had the privilege of dying an old man of old age at the church of Ephesus that surrounded him and immersed him in love till, till his dying day. But all the others were martyred, murdered, horrifically, tortured. Hmm. 
because he considers, verse 28, and turns away from all of his transgressions which he has committed. He shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, is it not, is it not my ways which are fair and your ways which are not? Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all of your transgressions so that your iniquities will not be your ruin. It's that secret besetting sin that is a ruin of so many people. You know, you can masquerade, you can hide for a long time, but you can't hide from God. God sees all, God knows all. And it's that secret besetting sin that has been the ruin of so many people. Eventually, it'll be found out. Now, God will not be mocked. How many, how many men and women, how many we thought they were so righteous, so wonderful... Ravi Zacharias. Oh, my God. I, I completely blindsided by that. It completely took me by surprise. Did that not surprise you? Yeah. I, I, went to, I had all of Ravi's tapes. I used to listen to Ravi all the time. I was so... Imp- when, what happened was I would listen to Ravi because when you listen to Ravi, what are you impressed with? Huh? You're impressed with Ravi. Yeah. I would listen to Chuck Smith and I'd be impressed with God. In his word. I'd listen to Ravi and I'd say, man, I want, I want to have that intellect. I want to be a Ravi. Listen to Chuck Smith and I'd say, I just want to be pleasing to God. You know, that, that's the difference, you see? And I, so I stopped listening to him after a while because I, I realized he was drawing people into himself rather than unto the Lord. But I was so impressed with the man. And, and you know, I, I thought, well, he's, a, he's an intellectual. He's, he loves his intellect. He, you know, he's very prideful in his intellectual abilities and capabilities. But I never imagined he was such an unrighteous person. Did you? Did any of you? No. Was there any indication whatsoever? No. And no one ever knew until when? Until he died. Till after he died. When? When? Does a person's hypocrisy really show itself? When? When is a person's hypocrisy really judged? When they die. When you die. Everyone goes before the Lord. And that's when either you are genuinely and sincerely in Christ or you are not. Period. Period. There's no, there's no in between. Right? You're not almost pregnant, are you? You're, you're really pregnant? Are you sure? 100%. Okay. So a woman cannot be almost pregnant. She either is or she ain't. Well, listen to me. Listen to me. That, that's going to reflect on the day of judgment when we stand before the Lord, okay, either the white great throne judgment or the bema seat, wherever it happens to be, your destiny, that's when it's going to be determined whether you're truly in Christ or you are not. You can deceive a multitude of people and you can do it for your entire life. Robbie did. He was revered throughout the Christian community. He's a wretch. A beast of a man. He wasn't saved. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed. Get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit for why should you die? Isn't that what our appeal has to be to people now? Come to Jesus, he'll give you a better life. Come to Jesus, he'll find you a bride. You don't want a bride? They'll find you one. You want one? Okay. <laughs> but that's not why you come to Jesus, is it? No, you don't come to Jesus to fix your marriage. 
You don't come to Jesus to fix your financial problems. You don't come to Jesus to fix your, your, your uh, physical problems, health problems. You come to Jesus to fix you, to give you a new heart and a new spirit, right? And that's what he's saying here. You know, what, what do you want from me? You want this perfect life? You want to live this American dream? What do you want from me? Do you really want a new heart? Do you really want a new spirit? And are you willing to lose your life for my sake? And that's the key. He who would seek to save his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. Listen to me now. Listen to you, you married people. He who would seek to save their marriage will lose it. If you make your marriage an end all, you've lost it. You make your marriage, the two of you yoked together for the purpose of serving him, you found it. You've discovered the whole purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage is not your happiness. I'm sorry to disappoint you. It has nothing to do with your happiness. It may come, but the purpose of marriage is your holiness. Where the two of you come together to make that perfect one in serving him. And there's nothing that will sanctify you more than marriage. Isn't that true? Yeah. I come home and I tell Gail, your aggravation is home. I'm here. Your aggravation. <laughs> Why? Because, listen, listen, I'm, I'm so different than she is. She is so different than I am. And, you know, just the way we, we approach different situations and scenarios, you know, we're so different. I'm sorry, I'm not that lovey-dovey, okay? <laughs> I, I, ditch, I approach things very, matter of fact, this is the way it is. Hey, if I don't love you, I'll tell you. I don't need to tell you I love you every day, okay? I love you, don't I? All right. I told you when we got married, and if it changes, you'll be the first to know, okay? Yeah. No, no. But, but I show her I love her in a multitude of ways every day. Every day. Every day. Amen? Oh, beloved. Listen, whoever you know, there are so many people... The, the moment after the rapture are going to be screaming out in agony, wondering, like Israel, why this is not fair. You're not fair. And God will say, who's not fair? You know, I, I mention statistics to you all the time. You know what it changes? Nothing. Nothing for most people in their behaviors. Nothing. Why? Because there's no real conviction. Listen, Jesus, Jesus is not coming back for a half-hearted group of people. That half-hearted group of people are going to remain here to where they develop a whole heart for God. You don't understand this because it's not being taught. You know, I teach you a lot of things that you've probably never heard before, have you? Is that true? Yeah. But I tell you, don't believe them because I say, you go back out and see if it's true. Is that true? Don't I tell you that? Yeah. And, and you're still here, so it must have been true, right? <laughs> but let me tell you something. This is a whole world of people who think they're going to be raptured when they're not. They're not. They're not living holy for God. And just like Israel of old, this isn't fair. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah. Talk to the 11 apostles. Excuse me. Talk to the ten apostles who were murdered, and including Paul, for their faith. It was proven genuine. Where? Through martyrdom. 
But talk to Enoch, talk to John, talk to Elijah, whose, proof, whose faith was proven genuine by living a life of complete devotion. Love is not emotion. Ooh, hey, I love God. He loves me. I sing praises. I go to church, but I don't do what he's told me to do. Then that's not devotion. Love is devotion. If I was to measure devotion, and, and you know, I, I can't see everybody's heart, can I? It's impossible for me to see people's hearts. Impossible. But if I was to measure devotion, there's two things I always mention. What is it? Huh? Yes, your check, register, and your day timer. That's all you got to show me. And I can tell you whether you're really devoted to God or not. I'll tell you what you're devoted to. I'll tell you what you're devoted to because that's what you spend most of your time in and that's what you spend your resources on. And that displays your devotion. Please, beloved, if I'm speaking truth and there's any conviction whatsoever to what I'm saying, then tonight, before you go to bed, before you fall asleep, would you get on your knees and pray and repent and ask God to make you a two percenter. Two percent of the church tithe. Two percent of the church share their faith regularly. Two percent of the church really live a life of devotion to Jesus where he owns it all. Now, I'm not saying it because I need anything from you. We need nothing from you. Have I ever asked you for anything other than giving your heart to God? That's all I've ever asked you. Please give your heart to God. I don't need anything, and God certainly doesn't need anything. Who needs to give to God? Why do you need to give? For your sake. For my sake. That's why I need to show my devotion. How many people are... This is Israel of old. So comfortable in their complacency. So comfortable in their compromise. And they're wondering why. Hmm. You, you notice I'm not a preacher, right? I'm just, I'm sharing with my family. I'm sharing with you as passionately and as boldly and as honestly as I share with my own son. Some of the most difficult conversations I've ever had was with my own son, who I love dearly. We're talking about carrying out your responsibilities before God as God sees it, holding yourself personally responsible for your actions, for your conduct. And speaking of that, I know a brilliant young man who wrote a book called Reformation and Responsibility. And if you've never read this, he, he wrote this a few years ago, uh, and I think it's a wonderful read. It's a quick read, uh, and it will stir you to becoming more responsible in your life of devotion to Jesus. If you have never seen it or read it, I have some copies for you available to you. And if there's not enough for everybody here that would like one, I have more. Uh, it's free, free of charge. I'm sorry they're not autographed. <laughs> but it is, is, is high time, it is high time that the church began to take responsibility for their personal compromises and failings and stop making excuses and stop listening to these Pied Pipers, these prophets who are divining prosperity, peace. Everybody's raptured. God's love wins. Did you hear all this garbage? It's garbage because it's not biblical. I'm warning. I'm telling you the truth. Why? Because when I go up, I don't, any, I don't want any one of you to still be here. I want you to all come with me. Wouldn't you like that? We'll all go together. What a wonderful day that'll be. Hmm? Amen? Yeah. No, the books are right here on my chair. Yeah. Yeah, just come on up and get one. Yeah. You got a closing song for us? Shall we stand?